Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Welcome to The District, a podcast about politics and culture from the spectator world. I'm your host, Cara Kennedy, and I'm joined by Kinsey Schofield, Royal Watcher and host of the To Die For Daily podcast. Hi, Kinsey. How are you? I mean, it's been a pretty busy week, as you can imagine. I can't believe some of the things that have come out of spare. I felt like I've been living in a parody over the last few weeks, basically. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm pretty exhausted. I bet you are too. Speed reading this week after all of the various things that we had at the last six months of last year, the Netflix. Now we had the book to deal with. It does feel like there's no break, that it's just a continuous landslide of unnecessary drama from a couple that told us they just wanted to live a life of service. What do you think were the biggest revelations in Spear? I just spoke to somebody who said they didn't really think that there were any revelations at all. I kind of disagree. What do you think were the biggest things that we didn't know before? Well, I think we should swap out the word revelations for allegations, because in true Prince Harry form, he provides no evidence of anything that he says. You know, I, I have studied Charles and Camilla and I've studied their press office what yes i know that they've leaked stories about harry before in in an in a swap situation but there is no evidence that they w- were continuously leaking stories about harry and meghan with the objective of elevating themselves charles and camilla have been incredibly popular over the last few years obviously their their popularity increased dramatically upon the death of queen elizabeth But I just think that's an interesting allegation. I was horrified by the Elizabeth Arden description, Harry talking about frostbite on his penis and using Elizabeth Arden to try to heal it and it reminding him of his mother. I mean, is that not the weirdest thing you have ever heard? Yeah, it's pretty intense, isn't it? It's crazy. I was I was horrified by that. Let's see what else was there. I mean, I don't know. It just seems like a parody to... Even the idea of getting the Xbox wrong, saying that your mom bought you an Xbox before her death, it's highly documented. I guess this is a note for his publishers. It's highly documented that he received a PlayStation that his mother purchased shortly before her death. How do you get something as simple as that wrong or where you were when the Queen Mother died? So it's just, uh, I mean, obviously I'm reading the book with with my very critical glasses on and I'm looking for issues like that. But I just think that this was such a poor decision by by Harry. I feel like if he did, I don't know if you saw a piece I wrote called I Was Wrong About Prince Harry and I'm sorry. But yeah, if, he, if he did want to ever be considered a thought leader or ever be able to hang out with President Barack Obama or Justin Trudeau again, I think that that's in question because this is not a positive reflection of the man. What I do think is interesting is for the first time, we kind of saw it a little bit in the Netflix documentary, but for the first time we see what the teams are. Harry's made it very clear that 
there are teams, kind of Beatrice and Eugenie and that side of the family are Team Sussex. And who we see as, as, as the biggest villains is Charles, Camilla and William and Kate. Camilla arguably comes off the worst in the whole book, I would argue. What do you think? Yeah, I I definitely think Camilla comes off worse in the book, which is what we heard pretty early on. And I just did not want to believe that because I thought, you know, I love Diana. I've built an entire brand around Princess Diana, but I thought Harry was a better and bigger man than that. There were also reports, and I don't know if you remember this, but when Megxit started to fall, you know, fall apart, there were reports that Camilla tried to pull Megan aside early on and tried to mentor her and was rejected. We also heard that Lady Susan Hussey was assigned to to kind of mentor Megan and was rejected. There have been many instances documented where the queen tried to put someone in her path that might be able to help her navigate the royal world. So, you know, I do think that and I, I guess I'm not defending Camilla because I do think that she caused a lot of hurt within the family and she caused a lot of hurt specifically to Diana, which I'm sure was reflected in her boys. But I also think, oh my gosh, grow up, Harry. You're almost a 40-year-old man complaining about your bedroom being turned into a wardrobe. Yeah, it does seem a, a long time to hold on to this sheer resentment and hatred Speaking of Lady Susan Hussey, what do you think about the backtrack on the royal racism row? My jaw literally dropped when he said that to Tom Bradby. And Tom Bradby was pretty shocked too. What do you think? I think that, well, it depends on what what you were watching. Because if you watched the American interview with Anderson Cooper, Harry basically says his family is racist again. He says that the reason that they rejected Meghan or didn't get along with Meghan were stereotypes. And when he lists off those stereotypes, one thing he says is she was black, biracial. So, I mean, are, is that not racism to not get along with somebody because of the color of their skin? I mean, well, this is what I mean. That this is I, I've titled it Sussex syndrome because he seems to have double standards in what racism actually is. In the Oprah interview, it was there were issues surrounding Archie's skin color, which everybody with a brain cell knows that is racist. And then he comes back and calls it unconscious bias and says specifically that it's not racism. Well, I mean, it it goes beyond just saying somebody asked about Archie's skin color. They made accusations that a child lost its security. They made accusations that a child did not receive a royal title because it was going to be a black baby. And that's, can I curse on this? (laughs) Go ahead. That's, That's BS. I mean, that's BS. So you're saying that you never said that the royal family was racist, yet you accused them of withholding a title and it's and holding security safety from this tiny being. That is an, an, a, that's an aggressive allegation. And then also, I would say it put people like me in a terrible position, because if I questioned it publicly, I was racist, according to Harry and Meghan's you know, group of people on the Internet. So if I challenged that narrative at all, I was told that I had to shut up, that I could, you know, that that I was a horrible person and that I was racist. And when I, you know, you you do feel that you have to acknowledge it because they've said it and certainly they wouldn't say something that was so insane and and not true, but they just backtrack on everything they say. It, uh, the their ability to lie 
their ability to lie on camera, it's terrifying. My biggest question is how Harry can justify the fact that what so his biggest his biggest issue and his biggest issue for two years has been that the royal family supposedly didn't step in to change the press narrative about his wife. Well, surely you could argue that by allowing everybody to think that the royal family was racist, they did nothing to stop this narrative being peddled by people like Oprah, people like Tyler Perry. I mean, people have a lot of apologizing to do with big, big followings. Gail King, who went on television here in the United States and said she had receipts for the racism, you know, they uh, what Harry specifically said during one of his interviews here while plagiarizing Martin Luther King Jr. is, you know, silence is betrayal. So, I mean, that's just one great example of hypocrisy. Look at the text messages from Catherine in Her- featured in Harry's book. There's a text exchange between Catherine and Meghan over bridesmaids' dresses or over the, the little children's dresses uh, during Meghan's wedding. So petty, so unnecessary. I don't care. But it just makes you think, how is releasing text messages between your wife and your sister-in-law any different than Thomas Markle handing over a letter that Megan wrote to him for a newspaper to publish. In my eyes, it's the same exact same violation of privacy. How much uh, input do you think Megan did have on this book? I mean, it's ridiculous. It sounds, some of it does sound very hippie and weird. So I would say I'm sure she had some influence, but also if I'm Megan, I don't want my husband talking about drug use, talking about mounting a cougar behind a pub. You know, I, I don't know. A part of me thinks that there's got to be some form of secondhand embarrassment going on if I'm Megan Markle. The breaking of the necklace. Okay. I hope your necklace is okay, Harry. I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's just kind of ridiculous. I can't imagine that she approved every single line. Also, there's this weird part where he talks about their first date. Now, if you watch this Meg, this Meghan Markle wedding special that she executed shortly after the wedding, she walks you through the dress. Her dress was about to go on display, I think. And she clearly for the camera, because she stops and repeats herself when she's interrupted, goes into detail about how there's a piece, her something blue that's sewn into, I believe, the veil or the dress. Her something blue is a piece of cloth from the blue dress she wore on her first date with Harry. But then in the book, Harry says she's wearing a black sweater, jeans. So why wouldn't she correct him and say, well, I've already told the world that I was wearing a blue dress. <laughs> you know, I don't know how much input she had in it with 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 those little inconsistencies like that. You'd think that they would want to keep their stories straight. Yeah, I think you're right. Is there any part of the book that you did find compelling? I find found myself crying a few times, especially when he was talking about how Charles came in and told him that Diana hadn't made it. What what did you think about those parts that were a bit more compelling? Well, I think that makes you a nicer person than me because I <laughs> I kind of have been fed up with the oversharing. I also think that there's something really sacred about Diana's death. And, you know, to me, there are elements that when, and Charles telling Harry that his mother is gone, that's his story. I, you know, that is his story. That's his to tell. God bless him. But there are a lot of elements that he's telling that inadvertently tell William's story too. 
or maybe he does, maybe he's doing it on purpose. I mean, to give you an example, to tell us that, to tell us that he's, that people said him and William weren't circumcised, but he's circumcised. You're not telling us about William's junk, but you are telling us about William's junk. So there were so many parts in there that I thought you're giving too much away. You're crossing the line. I want, I think it's fair for you to share your story. But when your your story invades somebody else's privacy, somebody that, I mean, what is what I do for a living. I talk about these people for a living, but I'm not, a, I'm not a sibling. I'm not a relation. I'm not privy to what, you know, really, really goes down unless, unless the source is incredible, but I'm usually getting gossip upon gossip. And I think he's violated something extreme with his brother. I think that sharing some of these things is just to me cruel because William is not in a position to correct or to respond. And Harry knows that he's, you know, kind of in a straitjacket when it comes to responding to these things. He's it's 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 impossible. He has to just take the hits. There's a lot of therapy speak throughout the memoir. And also we now know that Harry took his therapist with him to multiple interviews. Do you think Harry's new kind of character, the new Harry, is a result of too much therapy? Is there such thing as too much therapy? Or shrooms, because he's told us he let, you know, he's done some of those too. Yeah. Yeah, the therapy speak is interesting, but I would argue that it's like what therapist in their right mind is approving this bridge burning? What therapist in their right mind encourages somebody to lie through their teeth on international television? I mean, are these people even is, is this like, is it a real therapist or is it like the kind that he works with, with where he's the chief impact officer kind of That's therapist? <laughs> I don't know. Is this a, is it just a counselor or a hype man or is this a real therapist? I don't know. But whoever is advising him is not doing him any favors. I mean, I feel so negative right now. I'm so sorry. I'm normally a positive person, but I think I'm just overwhelmed by all of this. To me, Harry had such potential. He had the, the name recognition and he had the contacts to come over to the United States of America become a thought leader in whatever venue he wanted to to be that in does he want to pursue mental health does he want to pursue how we treat vets once they uh, once they're out of the army or whatever you know he promised us a life of service and over the last few months it's just been and uh, truthfully he's it's almost years at this point if you if you go back to the Oprah interview it's been a constant stream of complaining about 18 months that Meghan Markle was an active senior member of the royal family. And I think that there was so much potential with him. The United States was so excited to have him. And I'm just really disappointed in in the choices he's making. And I'm disappointed in his attempt to rewrite history and in rewriting history, how it's negatively affecting the only other human being on the planet that was affected in the same way he was by the death of his mother, Prince William. And I, I wish that I was more positive and happy because I, I normally am, but okay. I just think I'm getting kind of beat up and burned out on all of all the, the grenades being thrown from the Sussex side. No, I think you're right. I feel like everybody is exhausted. Even the most staunch Sussex fans seem to be 
all in the same headspace now, which is shut up. How do you have anything left to say? Move on. Uh, Yeah. Do you think I know the answer to this and you know my feelings on this, but do you think there is any way back for him now? Yeah, I, I don't. And well, I've said it before and I was destroyed. So I've hesitated to say it again. Yes. I, I mean, yes. It, uh, if and when he divorces his wife, I'm sure the royal family will gladly welcome him back and figure out, you know, he'll become the Prince Andrew. He'll have a nice little estate. We'll rarely see him. Um, and that's if and when there's a divorce. But and I was the last time I said that I was absolutely destroyed. But Really? I don't know. That seems, that seems commonsensical to me. I said it pretty early on. And so maybe I said it too soon. I think maybe people are looking around at each other going, how can this last? These are two people that all they have in common is their hatred for Harry's family at this point. All they have in common is the fact that neither one of them talked to their families because of the situation, because of their, their relationship, you know, that's really wild to me. But I, you know, if realistically as a unit as Harry and Meghan I don't think that William and Catherine could or would ever trust them again they've been this is a, a betrayal like no other this has been incredibly hurtful for the two of them so I can't imagine that they're going to ever welcome them back with open arms they'll tolerate them I think you kind of saw that when the queen died and they did the walkabout together the body language said we're here against our will, but um, I really don't see a realistic option for him to come back. I don't, I don't think that he's proven to be a trustworthy individual. And for the most part, I think he's a liability to the British Royal family. What do you think about the possibility of a Megan memoir? We know that there was a four book deal. I think they've done or a three book deal maybe and they've done two of them so we're waiting on one more and the, I do, the rumor is Megan what do you yeah, think I do think that it's a four book deal it's pretty clear that that's what we've what we're waiting for on our end Megan has said in recent interviews with the cut that she discovered a diary at Frogmore Cottage when she was home and was it the cut or was it variety? Megan said in one of those interviews that she discovered a diary that she kept while she was at Frogmore Cottage. And so Harry's mentioned that too. In the past, Megan's talked about how journaling keeps her anchored. I do think that we will get a, a book from Megan more complaining about her t- her very brief time in the royal family. And I just can't imagine spending so much of my life mad about such a short period of time in my <laughs> life because like, look at how blessed their life is. I'm not kidding. I It took me like six hours the other day to find toilet paper here in Los Angeles, California. And I'm like, they have 16 bathrooms. What do <laughs> they do when they run out of toilet paper? Um, I just can't. Im- they've got a, a beautiful home. They've got two beautiful children that they are clearly mad about. They're given opportunities hand over fist from Netflix to Spotify to this book deal. I mean, the chief impact officer, whatever the hell that is, the <laughs> the way that the, they, they've been so blessed since they've come over to the United States and, and been given opportunities is incredible. And it would be nice to see them just bask in the glow of content instead of continuing to just, you know, complain about the royal family. It's insane to me. And I honestly think it all just stems from this feeling of rejection. I mean, Megan just 
could not understand why the people loved her, but the palace didn't. And it's because the palace built her, the palace built her image. They built everything that the people thought of her. And she wasn't treating people kindly behind the scenes. It's because the palace knew the truth. And this idea of Harry and William getting into this, you know, very volatile fight, listen to the words that Harry uses in the description. Prince William believes what he's saying. You know, yeah, it's visceral, isn't it? The hatred that they have for people is visceral. Right. But I think that I don't think that William just decided he doesn't like Meghan Markle because of what he read in a tabloid. William is unhappy. William is is trying to address a situation privately because he truly believes that behind the scenes, Meghan is being cruel to their staff. And he's saying it has to stop. I mean, Harry documents in the book, staff members sitting, you know, crying over their desks. Are you? Do, that is not a healthy environment, Harry. I know you've never had a real freaking job, but that's <laughs> not the reality. That's the, There is something wrong within your offices if your staff members are regularly regularly crying over their desks. So to me, it's just like, I feel guilty for William because you can tell he believes what he's saying. He's not just bullying Meghan Markle, which is what they want us to believe. This is a man that has been briefed about inappropriate behavior. He's trying to handle it privately with his brother and his brother is stubborn and refuses to listen. And um, I won't, you know, Trump described him as something that I won't repeat here, but that, clearly, clearly uh, Harry is um, whipped. Yeah, <laughs> I did hear that over the last few days where Montecito has been evacuated, that one of the Sussexes were shouting at staff to try and get them a helicopter out of there. Did you hear that? I, I, I've i seen that. I wouldn't say I've heard it from a reliable source, but I did see that and it made me laugh. It made me giggle. I was under the impression that um, the family was with Harry while he was in New York doing his his uh, little PR blitz. But I, I'm not I, I'm not sure Megan is actually in Montecito. Yeah, it may not be true, but it is believable. <laughs> it is very believable. <laughs> And so I guess if there is another memoir, then we have more to look forward to. Do we? I mean, that's like you said there. I mean, some people are saying that there are no big revelations in this book. I am curious. You said that you had you disagreed. What did you take away from it that you were surprised by? Do you mean as in the new content? Yes, yes. I think it's it's more that we've had these kind of accusations of these mystical figures that they don't really talk about for the past two years. And it was just nice to kind of get some answers from it, even if it's not true. It's nice to have claims with people attached to them instead of just, oh, somebody said this, somebody did this. It was nice to, for him to actually have the balls once to say, yeah, William threw me on the floor and broke my necklace. Do you know what I mean? It's like... At least you get some kind of detail. Right. It was it was several years between the Oprah interview and even really the Netflix series where there were just really vague accusations. And this is the first time he's actually spelled a few things out. But like the I think American, the American audience is really surprised by this idea that the palace might trade stories or leak stories. And I'm not. Maybe it's because 
uh, well, it's because I've studied them for years, but also maybe it's because I live in Hollywood where that's a typical Tuesday. You've got two actresses in your film and one is the branded designated bad girl and one is the angelic up and comer that you're trying to protect. Yes, you might hand the studio might hand T and Z a negative story about the branded bad girl to silence the any sort of negative story about the good girl because they've invested in her and, and they need her to be be a, become the bigger star i that's just i mean it's also very very typical in politics that's why i i hesitate to believe that Meghan markle was so taken aback by all of this because that is something that happens pretty regularly in los angeles even with publicists oh i I don't want you to say this horrible story about my client. So I'm going to give you this story. I overheard at a club the other night about somebody that's not my client just to kill that story because that's my client and I have to protect them. That happens all the time. No, I completely agree. And if you think about it like more broadly than that, where does any story come from? Any story comes from a person, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in British politics, it's exactly the same. You have MPs briefing certain journalists and of, of course you're going to write the story if somebody comes to you I mean you do your fact check and you do your do due diligence but but of course yeah and then the idea that the palace and, and media work together I just that's not a realistic explanation it's it's I don't know if you have this over in the UK but with American sports after the game or before the game the players are required to talk to media. They're required to do a press conference or they'll get fined. I mean, there's the, there's this iconic meme where well, this football player here says, I'm just here so I won't get fined. I think it was during a Super Bowl. He doesn't want to talk to the press, but he doesn't want to get fined either. And that's the only reason he's there. I think it's the same way. The Palace, they it's not a relationship. It's not this sneaky friendship. What it is, is it's the royal family you know, they have to, they have to give, they have to give a little and they get a yeah. lot, you know, yeah. and that's just the world. Yeah. I think it, I think it's less sinister than people think it, Yeah. There is a relationship, but it's not as contrived and terrible as he makes out. What I did find interesting, I don't know if you saw was Jenny Bond, the ex BBC Royal correspondent, uh, Royal editor saying about how she actually approached Camilla multiple times to try and build a relationship with her like she did with Diana. And Diana used to go out for lunch with her and, and give her some stories. Whereas Camilla said, no, absolutely not. I'm not interested in um, forming a relationship with journalists. And I mean, Jenny Bond has no reason to lie saying that. Right. No, I, I agree. But it also, you know, it doesn't reflect well that in I, I'm not def I'm not not defending the Sussexes in any way in this statement, but it wasn't a good reflection on us that Camilla was at that lunch with Pierce Morgan and Jeremy Clarkson. <laughs> you know, that yeah. that stuff is not a great reflection. And I remember that here's the only the only story I've ever heard about Camilla leaking stories was in the 90s. Diana was alive. She was still technically married to Charles. And Camilla had, from what I heard, forged a relationship with a reporter. The reporter later spoke out about it, saying, yeah, Camilla told me this story. That's how I got that. That was my source. Somebody shut him down because he quickly changed his story 
Oh, wow. And, and he quickly stopped admitting that there was a relationship between him and Camilla. But at the time, yes, I had heard that Camilla was leaking stories about Diana. We know that Diana was leaking stories about Camilla, the Rottweiler that we just we know that is very clearly documented. My one of my favorite photos is Diana getting out in and out of Richard Kay's car from the Daily Mail, her, her good friend. But I have heard of Camilla leaking stories in the past. But I have not heard that. And my argument with this whole idea that that Harry has created, this picture he's painted, is, you know, what is documented is that Camilla was kind of reluctant to put herself out there after the death of Diana. She did not want to be this villainous character. She was intimidated at the the sheer imagination of, of how people would react to her being on Charles's arm after the death of Princess Diana. And it was Charles's team with a man named Mark Boland who put yeah. this entire strategy together and to, who, you know, did start to say, look, we've got to change your image if, if this is ever going to work out between you two, if you ever want to get married and you ever want to see a future for yourself together in the public, we've got to work on your reputation. But to, you know, from what I understood, Camilla would have been totally happy off in the country with a pack of cigarettes and a pack of dogs. You know, she really... I don't believe that she instigated. And I, you know, I, I was just talking to Christopher Anderson, who's a, a royal biographer who I respect greatly, and he disagrees with me. But I don't think she's a big schemer. I think that there were people higher up that said this is the only way that this is going to work. And they executed that. But is Camilla making phone calls to say Meghan Markle's being a diva today? I highly doubt that. No, and uh, the funny thing is about this whole thing is Meghan and Harry loved leaking to the press. I mean, there were details that came out. I mean, like, who else is going to leak about what colour curtains they had in their cottage? Do you know what I mean? It was pretty oh. obvious where the stories were coming from. Meghan's yoga moves in Finding Freedom. I mean, that, that was a dead giveaway. If you're reading Finding Freedom and listening to what Meghan's, reading about what Meghan's thinking mid-downward dog, I mean, that's a dead <laughs> giveaway too. But also, um, what, what just... The, the it was it was I I really felt it when Prince Philip died, and how the hell does anyone know that Meghan sent a very specific wreath and what the note says inside? I was like, oh my gosh, there's no way that the Sussexes had to give that information to somebody because how morbid, how inappropriate if somebody's crawling on their hands and knees to find the wreath that Meghan or to figure out if Meghan Markle sent a wreath for Prince Philip's funeral. Definitely. And there was also the possible engagement ring that was one of Diana's emeralds, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, I mean, those details were only going to come from one house, weren't they? And then the weird, the weird way that the whole People magazine expose is explained in the net, you know, half explained, vaguely explained in the Netflix documentary. You really expect me to believe that these friends of Megan from Suits decided to to contact People Magazine privately and did not include Megan in that decision to speak to People Magazine about Meghan Markle and to release her letter to People Magazine and Meghan Markle was going to be totally cool with that. There's no way. No, I know. You're so right. Thank you so much for your expertise, Kinsey. It's always a pleasure. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of The District, don't forget to subscribe. 
You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. The Spectator World is the American edition of the world's oldest magazine. To read more content on similar topics, please visit spectatorworld.com.